0: Wow, what an exciting time we're having in John chapter 2. We want to welcome you to Crosstile Ministries Expositional Studies. We're finishing our study of chapter 2 in the temple scene. Verses 23 through 25 is the last portion of this section. This section comprises the record of what Jesus did in the temple and the responses to his actions. These are verses 12 through 25. We pick up the scene in verse 12 where John begins telling his account of the events that day verses 12 through 16 lays out for us the record of the events that actually took place the remaining verses in the chapter record for us the different responses to what jesus has just done uh, in verse 17 we see the response of the disciples in verse 18 through 22 the response of the jewish leadership of israel and in verses 23 through 25 the many who believed in jesus the focus of our study for this month is the last three verses verses 23 through 25 referred to as the many who believed it will be helpful for our purpose in this study for you to have your Bible handy and to have read and be familiar with this section in its entirety, focusing on verses 23-25. through 25. It would also be helpful for you to have marked and available for reference Malachi chapter 3 verses 1-6 through 6, and Zechariah chapter 9, for we will be referring to these scriptures. If you would, pause this study and read the selected passages. Proceeding, it seemed to me when studying this passage that I was being left out on some significant information regarding John's record of events that day. In the temple scene, there are obviously some important bits of information that we do not have when reading the story. I say this because it seems to me to not make complete sense. For instance, why would many believe because of what they saw Jesus doing at the temple? Wasn't it obnoxious? Wasn't it a little bit hysterical? Wasn't it out of the ordinary? Wasn't it a little bit too abrasive? What do they mean by believe? And believe in what? What is a sign that John refers to? And what was it meant by that it was a sign? It is almost like I am catching the tail end of a story that makes sense only when one knows the beginning. If you are thinking this as well, I want to assure you that you are close to the truth regarding this passage. The Jewish people known to us as the covenant people of God, Israel, would have found Jesus' actions to be very significant. That is important to note. God and his relationship with Israel had been preparing them for what he was about to do in the future Messiah he was sending. The, The term Messiah is a Hebrew word meaning anointed one. But the term took on an entirely new and more significant meaning for Israel as the days of Jesus approached. Israel had experienced the tyranny of domination from not only the Romans, but others, who now possessed the land that to them was sacred. The dwelling land of God was being defiled, and Israel was under constant persecution, and used for the pleasures of pagan nations that ruled them. Therefore Israel was crying out for God to deliver them. They in particular set their hopes upon this one Messiah, foretold by God throughout the Old Covenant, who would come and conquer Israel's enemies, and then set up a kingdom that would last forever and ever and would reach to the ends of the earth. Wow. It will be helpful to see Jesus through the eyes of an Israelite in this first century. An Israelite whose hopes were founded in such passages as Malachi three, one through six and Zechariah nine. By reading these passages you can get the picture that drove them to believe in the one they saw in the temple that day. Now the problem comes when we see Jesus' response to their belief. He does not entrust themsel- himself to them. In other words, they saw the actions of Jesus and believed he was the Messiah, the one who would usher in the kingdom talked about in the Old Covenant. They believed he was the one and wanted him to be their king. But, the text says, he would not be their king. We see an example of this in John chapter 6, verse 14, as their response to the feeding of the 5,000. As you will hear in the following message, the king they wanted was not their king. Jesus, as not only the king, the promised Messiah, but the first among many to come in this new kingdom, was not the Messiah who they thought he would be. We would at this time like to invite you into the revival setting where we will investigate this passage in greater depths and its truth will become more clear to us. Well, open your Bibles up to John chapter uh, 2, and it seems like uh, you're really going to need your Bibles tonight. You're really going to need them tonight. We're going to be doing some uh, surveying of some scripture. We're going to be settling in on John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. That's John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. But we're going to be, uh, in in looking at this scripture, and we're going to talk about this tonight. In looking at the scriptures we're looking at tonight, the New Testament, you're going to find that it's difficult to stay in the New Testament in what John's talking about because he's constantly referring back to an Old Testament prophecy that is being fulfilled in this passage. So uh, there's a couple scriptures that we're going to be referring to that I want you to be able to have ready at your hands. So if you would mark off in your Bible, stick a finger in there, a piece of paper, a pen, whatever you have available. Malachi chapter 3. That's uh, the last book in our Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3. And then the book right before that, Zechariah chapter 9. And we're going to read some brief passages out of there this evening. And uh, I just want you to kind of have those ready and available so that uh, we're not going to be lost uh, in flipping around in that. And while you're looking at that, um, I really want to tell you what's on my heart. Discouraged is not the word. Discouraged is not the word. But there is this sense of we're settling for something less. If you understand me, we're settling for something less. When we talk about Christianity... When we talk about the kingdom of God, and that, that's the focus of the passage tonight. That's, all, that's what John has been talking about. Jesus is coming, and he is, he, is the, he is the king of this new kingdom. He is the Messiah. He is the long-awaited deliverer of Israel. The one who comes in, and God is going to inaugurate. God is going to begin this kingdom, and he is the very first member. That's Jesus. And so with Jesus is the coming of the kingdom of God. Wow. In fact, John the Baptist witnesses uh, of him. And notice when John talks about the kingdom of heaven, he talks about the kingdom of heaven is near. And when he talks about the kingdom of heaven is near, he's referring to Jesus. Because wherever Jesus is, the kingdom of heaven is. And you cannot talk about the kingdom of heaven outside of Jesus. Which tells us, folks, that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom is not four walls. It's not even streets of gold. Uh, I listened to some of our, our music today. And we're beginning to come back away from that. We're beginning to back away from that. We're beginning to back away from singing about glory and about going to heaven where there's streets of gold and singing about that. And it's not that I believe that, that the kingdom of God is fully actualized. In other words, we, the, the, the rule of God and the kingdom, Jesus on his throne, uh, as Paul says, is not yet made visible. It's true, but it's not yet made visible. We can't see that in actuality. But there is an alreadyness, if if I can use that language, there's an alreadyness to the kingdom. Uh, When the kingdom of God is talked about in the New Testament, it's talked about already happening, yet not yet at the same time. You understand what I'm saying? There is a not yet of the kingdom of God which is going to be fulfilled later on when God uh, brings everything to pass and he pulls all together and of course he establishes his throne here on earth. The new Jerusalem is going to fall and we're going to have this this kingdom of God that's established. But you understand that that kingdom is is going on right now as well. And so, wouldn't it be something if we could begin to celebrate not what's going to come, although, hey, it's not bad celebrating about what's going to come, but let's, let's celebrate about what's going on right now. Yes, amen. Amen. That's right. That God's here. kingdom is present, man. Amen. That the, the, the availability to being involved in this kingdom, it can be happening right now. And, and what I'm scared to death of, and I really hope you get, I want to get this across, I hope you get on board with this, is that I'm scared it's what's happening in the, in the first in the second and the third chapter of John, in the first century, with the, with the Judaism, is they get so wrapped up into what's going to be that they miss what is right in front of their face. And so many times, it's like you hear, hear Christians about, oh, I just wish Jesus would come back tomorrow, that way I could get out of this, and, and it would be great then. And Well... I think they're missing because you can live in that victory in the kingdom right now. I believe that. I want to talk to you tonight about John chapter 2. And uh, we've been looking at the temple scene. And of course, verses 23 through 25 is the tail end of the temple scene. Verses 12 through 25 is the actual whole entire text of the temple scene. Verses 12 through 16 is the actual events in the temple themselves. In other words, that's John's record of Jesus coming into the temple. He fashions a whip out of cords. He chases everybody from the uh, temple area, the Gentile courts of the Gentile area. He tosses over some tables. He grabs some coins of the money changers. Flies those things across the uh, temple floors. They they skip and bounce, and everybody runs for those types of things. He causes all kinds of ruckus, and of course, no one says a thing. Everybody's in astonishment. Everybody's in awe, and of course, Jesus stares down the money changers and says, "How dare you turn my father's house into a marketplace?" That's the events of the temple scene itself. That's what took place. Now, coming into verse 17 through verses 25, what you have in this section, and this is really plain for us, uh, what you have in this little section is the responses to what Jesus has done in the temple. So, verses 12 through 16 is the events of the temple themselves. Verses 17 through 25 are those who re- a record of those who responded to what Jesus just did in the temple. For instance, verse 17 is the disciples' response. So you have what Jesus did, and it says in verse 17, His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So you have the disciples' response in verse 17. In verses 18 through 22, you have the Jewish leadership in Israel. You have the Jews' response. Verse 18 says, then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us? And then there's a conversation with the Jews. So verses 18 through 22 is the Jewish leadership of Israel. That's their response. In verses 23 through 25, which is our text this evening, you have all the other people at the temple who believed on behalf of what they had just seen. That's their response. Verse 23 says, Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the signs he was doing and believed in his name. So verses 23 through 25 are all the other people at the temple, those who believed what they were seeing, this is their response. So it's laid out pretty easy for us, isn't it? Verses 12 through 16, temple events, 17 through 25, the responses to what Jesus has just done. And I want, to, I want to focus tonight on the verses 23 through 25, which are those who saw what Jesus was doing, the signs that he was doing. The significant things that he was doing. And they believed in his name. I want to talk to you about that this evening. This is how it reads in the NIV. Verses 23-25 through 25 of John chapter 2. Now while he was in Jerusalem. At the Passover feast. Many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing. And believed in his name. But. Jesus would not entrust himself to them. For he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man. For he knew what was in a man? Father, we love you this evening. Uh, that's why we've gathered here. We've gathered here to worship you and praise you. Uh, God, I want to be in your kingdom. Uh, it's as simple as that. And I, wanna, I, I want you to define that for us tonight. Well, what are we talking about? when We're talking about the kingdom of God. Hey, what am I, what am I getting involved in? Well, what does it mean to be involved in the kingdom? When I say that I am a kingdom person, that my I'm serving my king, and I'm living under the authority of my king, and I'm living in the kingdom of God, hey, what are, what are we talking about? What does that mean? Am I talking about going to church on Sunday? Uh, is the kingdom down at the church? Is that where the kingdom is? Is is it bigger than that? Is it is it well? The kingdom is something that's going to be celebrated after I die in heaven. What, what's the kingdom, God? I really want to live in the kingdom. I really want to live in the now of the kingdom. Would you open our eyes to the truth of your word? And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. What's significant about our passage this evening, verses 23 through 25, is that the people believed, the people believed is is the focus of the passage, but they believed because of what they were seeing. And and John, how he structures this, they believed on what they were seeing because they were signs. Very, very significant in the Gospel of John. John does not call the miracles of Jesus uh, miracles. doesn't just refer to them as miracles. He refers to them as signs. Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about miracles. They use that word miracles. But John is a little bit more specific. He refers to the miracles of Jesus as signs. In other words... You see, the wow of the miracle, the wonder of the miracle, the I can't believe he did that of the miracle is not what the focus is all about. It's the significance of why he did the miracle of what was going on in the miracle in fact the miracle itself was to teach us something about God it was to teach us something about Jesus in other words the big deal wasn't just in verses 2 I'm sorry in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 2 which is the changing of the water into wine in our present passage the big deal of the miracle was not about the wine the big deal was not about st- setting back and going Whoa, wow wow do you see what Jesus did he changed water into wine woo that's neat wow that's neat if I ever have a wine problem I can call on Jesus man that's great It's bigger than that. There was significance in that. It was a sign that was to teach us about who Jesus is, what God is doing, especially in that event. It was a sign. And so these people who have been watching Jesus in the temple see the miraculous things that he's doing in the temple. And apparently there's things that are not recorded for us. Uh, When we look at the temple event, verses 12 through 16, we really only see Jesus doing one thing. Cleansing the temple. But in verses twenty-three, which is our text, it tells us that there were more than one signs. There there's many signs. There was more than one sign being done. This is what it says. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing. In other words, there was other things that Jesus was doing that were not recorded for us. The the gospels tell us this, don't they? At the end of the gospel, especially at the end of the book of Revelation, John writes, Jesus did many more things than these. In fact, John says that in his book. He did many more things than these. And if we were to record all these things, there weren't be enough books in the world to record what he's done. So we understand that there's things that he did that's not recorded. But that Jesus was doing significant events. He was doing significant things in the temple. And these were signs for the people. And they saw these and there was significance for those. So... What were these signs? What was the big deal about what Jesus was doing? Well, in order to understand that, we've got to come back to the people and, and understand who they were expecting, why these things were signs. Here's what I'm talking about. In the first century, you have the people of Israel. You understand that these people were descendants of, a, of, the, covenant, of the covenanted partner, Abraham, that God had established for himself a covenant with a group of people that he wanted to be his people, that he wanted to covenant with, that he wanted to enter into a relationship with, that he wanted to use to redeem an entire world. He wanted to be involved with these people. He wanted these people to be his God, and he wanted to be their people. Or he wanted to be their God, and of course, he wanted them to be his people. This was the relationship that he'd established. And he'd established, it, established this with a man by the name of Abraham. And, of course, he makes, makes his covenant with Abraham. And he tells Abraham from the very beginning, Hey, your descendants are going to be like the stars of the sky. They're going to be like the sand on the seashore. They're going to be many. All the world is going to be blessed through you. This is what he tells them. And, of course, Abraham and his wife uh, are waiting on this promise. And, of course, Sarah is barren. Remember that? Sarah is barren. So it's constantly weighing on their minds Abraham is thinking, okay, I'm going to be the father of many nations, all the world's going to be blessed through me, and it's been so many years and I haven't even had a kid yet. So he's thinking, what in the world's going on here? But he trusts, he believes in God, and God provides a miracle, and in their old age they give birth to a son, and that son's name is Isaac. But what's interesting is Isaac and Rachel, right? Isaac and Rachel, is that right? Is Isaac Rachel. Yeah, Isaac and Rachel, of course Rachel's barren as well. Did you know that? And it's a miracle. It's a miracle that she was able, it's it's an act of God, in in other words. It was an act of God that they were able to have children. And, of course, they had two boys, and their boys are named Jacob and Esau. We understand that Esau was the firstborn, but that the promise, that the covenant extended through Jacob. Well, God ends up changing Jacob's name. We We remember all this from the other night we looked at this. That God changes Jacob's name into Israel. He changes his name from Jacob to Israel. And in Israel, who was Jacob, has 12 sons, which became the 12 tribes of Israel. And these, uh, coming out of these sons, these descendants from these sons uh, become the people of God. They become the people of God. They're the people that God covenants with. And of course, he tells them that he's going to lead them. He's going to lead them into a a land of their own. And of course, he gives them what we understand as the law, which is the righteousness of God revealed, which the law was about how to have relationship with God and how to have relationship with each other. And he gave them the sacrificial system, which was enabled them to have intimacy with God. And he brings them into their own land. And you know the whole story. He brings them into their own land through Joshua. And you have this people who begin to develop through the Old Covenant. Folks, these are the descendants of uh, of the people in uh, in the first century, which were Jesus' audience. Those who were at the temple were descendants of this group in the Old Testament. They were descendants of Abraham. They were descendants of Abraham. And so, of course, uh, you have these people that are beginning to develop in the Old Testament. They're developing this understanding of who God is. And he's revealing himself. But you come to this certain group of people that begin to come about and they're called prophets. One of them was the prophet Jeremiah. And we always listen to the prophet Jeremiah, don't we? The prophet, uh, these prophets came about and, and of course you understand that God had been saying this all along. But he really began to say this really strong through the prophets the prophets begin to come around and they begin to call about they be, begin to call for repentance they begin to call for turning back to God's plan that what God had set up what God had been setting up through the patriarchs what God had been setting up through Abraham, Isaac and Jacob who's Israel what God had been teaching them in the beginning was just to prepare them for the real deal that he was going to set up in the new covenant So the old covenant, what God had set up, this this people for himself, he was going to reign in the midst of his people, that this was just just a shadow of what was really going to take place in the new covenant, which is what we are experiencing today. Wow. These prophets come along. And they begin to foretell of this individual who's going to come. And his name is Jesus. He was talked about before he was ever born. Now, folks, we have prophecies of Jesus that are really, really popular in our day. Well known in our day. Uh, that foretold of the life of Jesus before he ever took place. The prophets talked about Jesus before he was ever born. For instance, before Jesus was ever born, we knew that he was going to be born in the family line of of David, didn't we? We knew he was going to be born of David, or in David's line. We knew also that he was going to be born of a virgin. virgin. We knew that. These were the Old Testament stories. These were the Old Testament prophecies of the person that God was going to be sending. We knew that he was going to be born uh, in the town of Bethlehem. of Bethlehem. We knew all this kind of stuff. We knew intricacies of his ministry. Uh, if, you, if you would ever happen to search through the first four chapters... Of the book of Matthew. What you have in the book of Matthew. Is story after story after story. Of the first beginning years of Jesus' ministry. And each one of these stories. At the end of this story. Matthew writes. And this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Because God had foretold. Everything that he was going to do. That he was sending this one. Hear me. Stick with me. He was sending this one. Called the Messiah. The Messiah. The anointed one, this Christ, this king who was going to come and he was going to inaugurate this new kingdom. In fact, all that God had been setting up in the Old Testament, which was preparations for the kingdom, which was preparations for the kingdom, was actually going to take place in the new covenant that God had established and he was going to establish his kingdom. And folks, in Jesus' day, man, it, it, see I've been, doing a, I've been doing a lot of study on the kingdom and it's huge, it's huge. Uh, the people in Jesus' day were waiting for this. 500 years, 500 years before Jesus actually came, there were these prophets. And I want you to flip back with me. Uh, flip flip uh, back with me, if you would, to the book of Malachi. Uh, to the book of Malachi. Actually, before you flip there, flip to the previous book, Zechariah. Uh, this was a prophet. And he was foretelling of the ministry of this coming Christ, who we know as Jesus he was foretelling of this ministry, okay? Now, if you would follow with me, if you have your Bibles open to Zechariah chapter 9, I want to begin reading at verse 9. And in the in the New International version, there's a little subtitle there uh, above verse 9 and it says the coming of Zion's king, the coming king of the kingdom which God had established. That's what the whole deal is here. Now, listen, listen to this as I read it. This is what it says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. Which we knew that Jesus came into Jerusalem on a donkey. Prophecy about him. On a colt, on a fowl of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim. And the war horses from Jerusalem. Which means that they're not going have to have war anymore. Because this kingdom which the Messiah is going to establish. Is going to be so tough. It's going to be so unable to be thrown over. that You're, hey, you're not even going to need the chariots and the war horses. That's going to be so established. It's going to be so established. You won't need that stuff anymore. Uh, he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea. And his and from river from the rivers to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to you your fortress, O prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your sons, O Zion, against your sons of Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. Man, that's phenomenal. Do you hear what he's saying? God is saying, this is what the kingdom's going to be like. Now, this is setting the scene for what the people of Israel were expecting when they saw Jesus. They were waiting for this king. During Jesus' day, you understand that they were dominated by Rome. Actually, in Rome's prime, did you know that Rome ruled one quarter of the earth at one time? Powerful, powerful, powerful kingdom. I mean, they were vast, they were huge, conquered all kinds of stuff. And and, and the list, little minority nation who'd been whipped around for centuries and centuries, they were under the domination of Rome. So the people of Israel uh, that were going, undergoing severe persecution. Do you ever, and this is in the Apocrypha, if you ever read the, Apoc- the Apocrypha, you have the stories of the Maccabees. And you had the Maccabees. they were a family, and they were a family that were leading revolts against Rome and against their their oppressors. And they were, and of course, uh, there was strong, strong punishment coming down on the people of Israel. In fact, uh, they say that a hundred years or so before the birth of Christ, they had crosses lining the streets of Jerusalem where hundreds and hundreds of men and women were crucified. And so the people of God, Israel, was undergoing severe, severe, severe persecution. You with me? undergoing severe persecution. And so they're hearing the voice of the prophets and the voice of the prophets were these men who were coming and they were standing in the midst of of God's people saying, hey, a king is coming who's going to deliver you and his kingdom, wow, his kingdom is going to be so powerful that you're not even going to need chariots because God is going to rule and this king is going to come. He's going to set up this kingdom that is going to, that's going to reign from sea to sea. It's going to reign from north, south, east and west. Hey, from the far as the eye can see, this kingdom is going to reign. This king is going to be so powerful that he is going to knock off and he starts even naming the countries he names Greece. He starts naming the countries that he's going to take over and he starts talking, this king is going to come he's going to heal the sick, he's going to do all these phenomenal things. Now that's the prophet Zechariah and I told you to also mark Malachi chapter 3 this is the actual prophecy of what they saw in the temple that day The people of Israel are waiting for this coming Messiah. You have John the Baptist who's coming and he's foretelling. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is near. Are you with me tonight? Can can you almost sense the anticipation that's going on in the people of Israel? I mean, you've got this prophet who's coming, John the Baptist, and he's preaching repentance and he's saying the kingdom of heaven is near. And the people have been under such persecution, they're coming out in waves upon waves, and they're being baptized, and they're crying out to God saying, Save us, deliver us, deliver us from Rome, deliver us from our oppressors. And then you had Jesus who comes into the temple, and this was well known. This was well known what they were doing. Listen to this in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then that which is John the Baptist. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking, because they were really, God knew they would really be seeking God, because of the oppression they were under. Then the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant, of the new covenant, whom you desire will come says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? For He will be like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites. Now, we know who the Levites are. The Levites were those who were in charge of the temple. They were the the priesthood. In the Old Testament, they were called the Levitical priesthood. So, he's saying, Malachi is saying, that this Messiah is going to come and He's going to suddenly... You're, he says, hey, you're going to have this messenger that's preparing his way. He's going to be announcing the kingdom of heaven is here, which John the Baptist is doing. So everybody's in anticipation. Everyone comes to the Passover. And Malachi says, suddenly, he's going to come into the temple. He's going to come in the temple. But then Malachi says, who can bear his coming? Because he's going to be like a refiner's fire. He's going to come in. He's going to purify the priesthood. And then you see Jesus. And he comes into the temple. And he, he nails those priests. He grabs a, a cords and he winds them together. He chases everybody from the temple area. And he says, this is ungodly and it will not take place like this. He refines them. And so this is the setting. If I, could, if I could get that across to you. This is the setting of what's going on in the temple. And the people who believed in Jesus, these are the signs that they were seeing. They saw what Jesus was doing. And this was bigger. Hear this now. This was bigger than just... Well, yeah, he grabbed some cords and he made him into a whip. And I've wanted to do that to that guy for the longest time. But Jesus did it. And wow, it was great. And It's bigger than that kind of stuff. They saw this as the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. In other words, this is the guy who's going to set up this kingdom. This is the guy. And so we would be almost crazy not to believe. And so you come into verse 23 and it says, Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw what he was doing. They saw the signs of what he was doing and they believed in his name. They said, yes, he's come. I believe. I have faith. Wow, set it up. Let's get it going. Wow, take him over. Wow, wow, wow. I believe. But you come into Jesus' response in verse 23, or am sorry, verse 24. The next sentence says this. This is amazing. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them. He wouldn't. He looked at their belief. He looked how they were believing in his name. And he said, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh. He would not entrust himself for them. That word entrust literally means this. The people come to Jesus and say, we believe you are the one that's coming. You're the Messiah who's going to come and set up this kingdom. Hey, we want to make you king. Be our king. But Jesus said, no, I don't want to be your king. He did not entrust himself to be their king. Uh, You see this, and I'll just read this for you. Well, you guys know the story. The feeding of the 5,000. In John, a couple chapters later, this same group, Jesus does this phenomenal miracle. Thousands come out to him. And at the end of the miracle, this is what it says. After after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, which was the feeding of the 5,000, they began to say, surely this is the one who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew from them to the mountain by himself. So in other words, they come to him and say, wow, hey, this is the king. We're going to make you king. And Jesus ran away from them. Remember what happened? He tells his disciples, go get in the boat, get out of here. And he takes off running up the side of this mountain because he did not want to be their king. Uh, I, had, I had trouble with that. I had trouble with that. You see, Jesus came into the world. He came into the world to be king. And the people of God seeing his signs go, wow, be king. And Jesus says, no, I don't want to be your king. What's his deal? What's he doing? I mean, you came to be king, be king. And yet the people come to him to make him their king. And he says, I don't want to be your king. So I go back. And when it says they believed in his name, they believed who he was. I thought, well, maybe that word belief, maybe they were believing inadequately. Maybe they weren't believing right. So I did a word search on that word belief. And that word belief is the same word that's used throughout the gospel for the correct belief. For instance, the next chapter, John three sixteen, The famous verse we have in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever Believe. That's the same word. That's the same word for these guys right here. When it says they believed, that was the word that was used in John three sixteen. That's the same word that's also used in John chapter 20. When, when John writes the, kind of the theme statement of his book. He comes to the end of his book and he writes and he says, these things are written. In other words, I'm writing this stuff that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing, have life in his name. That's the same word. And I'm thinking, well, they believed. What's the problem? It says, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all men. Let me ask you something. Do you think it's possible to believe in a Jesus Who's not really Jesus? In other words, do you think it's possible that there are people out there in our world who believe in a Jesus who's not the same Jesus of this Bible? Oh, yes, it's possible. Uh, When I was going to college, I remember uh, setting a cross. I remember setting a cross from a Hindu. And uh, we, we began to talk, I knew he was a Hindu. And uh, and here was my chance. I'm an evangelist. It's my first time to witness to a Hindu. I'm going to lead him to Christ. It's going to be great. Be a good illustration someday in my sermons. So I present Jesus Christ to him, and I said, "Do you believe in Jesus?" And he said, "Yes." And I went, "Whoa! Wow! Praise the Lord, man! Wow! This evangelism things easier than I thought. I just led a Hindu to Jesus. It's great." But then we got to talking to this guy, and he he would any Hindu would readily say, "Hey, yes, I believe in Jesus." but I also believe in Muhammad oh and I also believe in this and I also believe in this and they believe in Jesus but they don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible and you understand that if you don't come back to the scriptures you can believe in a Jesus that's not really the Jesus of this Bible well, you see it all the time. I see it all the time on the news. I see it in Hollywood. And I believe in Jesus. Everyone's a Christian. You ever watch the, 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 uh, the movies, uh, awards, and the music awards? And they get up and the first thing they say is, The first thing I like to do is thank God. <laughs> well, what God are you talking about? Not my God. Because my God, you, you, you serve the same God I do? Well, you don't act the way that I do. And we've got people... We've got people around the world today who are living in sin, adultery, all these kinds of things. And they're saying they're serving Jesus. Well, you may be serving Jesus, but you're not serving the same Jesus that I serve. Do you see that? So you can be serving a Jesus that's not really Jesus. And you have these people who are looking at Jesus. They see what he's doing and they say, yes, you're the king. I believe in you. But the problem is, is they were believing in a king that Jesus did not come to be. In other words, they looked at him and said, wow, you believe? we believe you're the Messiah. But the Messiah that they thought that he was going to be was not, was not the Messiah that he came to be. We know this. Everyone was confused. Even the disciples. Even the disciples were confused. They didn't understand. In fact, Jesus constantly had to rebuke Peter and say, get behind me, Satan. Because Jesus constantly kept contradicting everything that they thought that he was going to do. They had their own little framework. They had their own little mindset of what Jesus was going to be. Hey, he was going to come into the world. Jesus was the king. He's raising people from the dead. I mean, he's healing over here. He's doing all these signs. He's going into the temple. He's fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. Hey, we know this. And so obviously, he's going to go down the road. He's going to grab Caesar by the nap of the neck and... Pop him in the jaw a couple times. He's going to throw some people aside. He's going to grouse this great army. We're going to knock off Rome. We're going to set up the kingdom. We're going to rule. And of course, he's healing the sick. So hey, no more sore throats. No more earaches. No more bad back problems. He's going to take care of all this. God's going to set up his throne. He's going to rule forever and ever and ever. And yet Jesus constantly kept running away from that. He constantly kept running away from that. And you begin to hear Jesus. This is really significant. You begin to hear Jesus in his teachings that the kingdom that he was talking about was not the kingdom that they were talking about. You hear it in the parable. His disciples get him by himself and say, hey, listen, we've been waiting now for about a year, year and a half. When's this kingdom going to be established? And so Jesus starts giving these parables on the kingdom. He starts giving the parables about the kingdom. Uh He starts one of the parables about the kingdom is the parable about the sheep and the goats. He says this. Then the king will say, he's talking about when that king comes into his kingdom. The king will say, come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you, the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And he constantly starts telling them these parables of the kingdom. And he's saying, wherever there's poor, wherever there's the suffering, wherever there's the needy, and you're feeding and you're clothing those people, there's the kingdom. There's the kingdom of God hey, that's the kingdom right there. And he he constantly pulls them away from conquering Rome. He constantly pulls them away from political agendas. He constantly keeps pulling them away from that kind of stuff and talking about the kingdom of God. Listen to me. Talking about the kingdom of God as being this intimacy of God with his people coming down and reigning with his people and the people of God getting into the same type of things that God was getting into. Did you know and this is obvious that Jesus is the first member of the kingdom of God? And his whole he lived his whole life as an example of what the kingdom of God is going to look like. And what and what you see in the life of Jesus is plain. For instance, you look at Jesus as a little boy and he's in the temple. And of course, uh, it's been three days. His parents cannot find him anywhere. They've went almost all the way back home. They realized he's not there. They've had to come all the way back to Jerusalem and look for him. They can't find him anywhere. So they're searching for him. And he's hear this now. He's been in the temple for three days. He's listening to the scribes. He's sleeping on the floor over by the wall. He's cuddling up with some hay. Someone's dropped a towel over there. Someone's dropped a cloak over there. He ran and got that thing, picked it up, rolled it up under a ball, put it under his head. He's sleeping in the temple for three days. Any time a scribe comes in with his students and begins to teach, Jesus is right there. He's a little boy. He's sitting. He's asking questions that even the, even the students aren't asking. you got this little boy sitting over in the corner, and he's asking these questions, and the scribes are amazed. And they're saying, who is this kid? Hey, who's your dad? And he, he's right there, and he's learning and he's listening. Finally, his parents show up. His parents show up and they come in and say, Whoa, where have you been? You're grounded. Time out for you for one week. And uh, uh, what are you doing here? And what does Jesus say? Oh, kingdom stuff. Didn't you know that I'd be about my father's business? And that the whole life, that was Jesus as a boy. You see, he was born in intimacy with God. And whatever God was doing, which is the kingdom stuff, understand the kingdom of God is the rule. It's the reign. It's the moving and acting of God. That's the kingdom. Wherever God is moving and revealing himself, that's the kingdom. And so wherever you see God moving, wherever you see see God ruling, that's where Jesus wants to be. And so his parents come in and say, hey, where have you been? He goes, what are you talking about? The services are right here. I'm in revival. Where did you think I would be? I'm about my father's business. This is my dad. Hey, come on. Wherever the kingdom is happening, that's where I'm going to be. And of course, they don't understand. They grab him by the ear and they pull him all the way back to Galilee. Well, later on, you see his ministry. And you see that, 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 that God has called out his forerunner, which is John the Baptist. And he's out saying, the kingdom of heaven is near. Hey, God has sent me out to baptize the, and, and, to, and to call to repentance. And God is moving and acting among Hey, the kingdom of the, it's about to happen, everybody. And everyone's coming out. And where do you see Jesus? Wow, he's out there. And he comes up to John the Baptist and he says, baptize me. Now, let me ask you, did Jesus need to be baptized for repentance? No, he didn't, man. He was, he was sinless in the eyes of God. He was in intimacy with God. Well, then why was he being baptized? Whoa, hey, whatever God is doing, I want to be right back. I want to be right in the Hey, baptize me next. Say amen or something. That's good stuff. You see, wherever God was moving, whatever God was doing, Jesus was standing in the midst of it saying, hey, I want to be a part of it. He reminds me of those guys who are at the, at the revival services when every time an altar call is given about anything, they're the ones that are rushing down to the altar, falling on their face, saying, Oh God, deal with me first. Hey, when, if you're going to move, if you're going to act, if you're going to mold, if you're going to transform somebody, transform me. This was Jesus in his world. He didn't need baptized for forgiveness. He didn't need that thing. He was the son of the living God. Then why was he being baptized? Because he wanted to be smack dab right in the middle of what his father was doing. Wherever his father was moving, wherever his father was acting, wherever his father was into, that's where Jesus was. John the Baptist is baptizing. The kingdom of heaven is here. What is he talking about? The kingdom of heaven? It's the moving and the acting and the working of God. God is doing what he talked about in an old covenant. He's pulling that thing off in a new covenant. And you see Jesus standing in the midst of it going, wow. I'm next. I'm next. Throughout his whole ministry, he's like this. You follow Jesus to the very end of his life. He's talking with his father. He's on this rock. He's he's tormented. Because he's right in the midst of where his father is. He's right in the midst of what his father is doing. And he looks to his father and he says, Hey, I know where you're leading. I know what you're doing. And he says, I want to be right in the midst of it. And he sees the cross. Now, you guys understand... That the cross for Jesus, he was sweating drops of blood, not because of pain. He wasn't wasn't worried about nails and wood. and See, that wasn't bothering Jesus. The whole cross was about taking the sin of the world on himself and being separated from God. And he had never had that. And for Jesus to stand in the midst of God's plan and be separated from God, Jesus looked at him and said, I don't want it. Hey, every, every, every time you've moved, every time you've acted, every time you were doing something, I was right there. And I don't want to be separated from you. If there's, if there's a way, if there's any other plan, let's do it. Because I don't want to be separated. But then he says, not my will be done, but your will be done. Because I want to be right smack dab in the middle of what you're doing. Hey, I want to be... I want, when you move, when, you're, when you're, the, the, the clothes that you have blows the air throughout the room when you're walking, I want to be that air. I want to be involved in the midst of what you're doing. So, not my will be done, but your will be done. And this is, folks, this is the character of his ministry. In fact, the character of the kingdom of God is lose your life to God. Hey, whatever he wants to be a part of, you want to be a part of. And, folks, listen to me. They weren't into that. They weren't into that. The king that they wanted to have, that was not their kind of king. Jesus constantly said, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me, you can't be one of the kingdom, man. Because the kingdom is all about losing yourself to God's plan. Losing your identity to his identity. Losing your dreams in spite of his dream. Losing what's going, hey, to what he's doing. This is the kingdom stuff. This is the kingdom stuff. Uh... I want to live there. I want to live in that kingdom. Jesus set the standard. He set the style of living. And He told His disciples, Hey, hey! if you're going to live in the kingdom, you've got to follow Me. Because wherever Jesus was, was the kingdom. I want to live in that. I want to be the literal... I want to be the working of God in this world. I want to be the presence of His kingdom, the presence of His role in my world. You see, wherever God is moving, wherever He's acting, whatever God is doing, I want to be a part of it. Hmm. Father, we love you this evening. Wow, wow, what good truth. Uh, would you, man, would you reign in me tonight, Jesus. Father in heaven, would you reign in me? Jesus was the first of many sons. He was the first of many that were going to be a part of this kingdom. That you have broken out of an old covenant. You have broken out of a temple where you were in this back room behind this veil. You have ripped that thing in half. And you have broken out of there. And you have come into my life. And you have brought your rule, your reign, your motivations, your plan, what you want to do. You have brought that inside of me so that somehow I can be the literal mobile kingdom in my world. That wherever I go, whatever I'm involved in, somehow your purposes, your plan is involved in my life. Oh, we love you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking around. I'd like to propose to you, I'd like to share with you that Christianity is a kingdom thing. And if you're going to be involved in the kingdom, uh, this ain't even worth saying. I mean, we understand that the kingdom stuff is bigger than I come to church. I am so tired of hearing that. You see, the kingdom is bigger than just, well, I pay my tithe. The kingdom is, is what Jesus was about. The kingdom is that whatever is on God's mind, whatever is on God's heart, is in me. Whatever's on his mind's in my mind. Whatever's in his heart's in my heart. Whatever he's involved in, I find myself being involved in. Wherever he's moving, hey, he's moving through me. And that I become the literal vessel by which God begins to move and act in His world. And it just doesn't... You see, wherever I find that God is moving, wherever I find that God is, is acting, wherever His hand is reaching out, I find myself smack dab right in the midst of it. Wow! I want that in my life. You never you never are too young for that. You never retire from that. There's no distractions from that sort of thing. Wow! I, I want to open up the altar tonight, and I want to ask you: Are you living there? Are you living there tonight? Are you living in the midst of His kingdom? If you're not, I, I challenge you. Respond, Father. We love you this evening, and I. Th-